0: Good to be with everyone this morning. We continue in our study of Romans. You can turn in your scriptures and your pew Bibles to Romans chapter 7. We'll be reading from the 14th verse through the end of the chapter. as We continue in our series from faith, transforming faith into freedom. And we come to this section where Paul has been answering a couple of hypotheticals um, or rhetorical questions that he anticipates that might be answered or asked, I'm sorry, asked by um, his prescription of being justified by faith alone and uh, that we are unable in our own means to justify ourselves or to ever have right standing before God except by the blood of Christ and being shielded and covered in His righteousness. And he anticipates the law then, or the questions of then uh, should we just stay in grace and sin all the more so that grace could be multiplied and of course we learned over the last couple of weeks the answer to that was no way or should we um, sin all the more so that grace could abound all the more and once again Paul answers that with no way and then in the first part of chapter seven he says the reason is is because we have a new relationship to the law, that we have a matrimonial relationship to Christ, and that this relationship we had as a wife to the law died when Christ was crucified on our behalf as he fulfilled and completed the law every jot and tittle so that when Christ proclaimed that it is finished, it is truly, totally, and fully finished in Christ, and that being the fulfillment of the law now we'll come to the second part of this new reality that we live in uh, about the law and its its confrontation to us that drives us to a specific place. So let's begin reading chapter 7, verse 14. Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Um, As soon as I find the 14, I'm going to start at 13. Did that which is good then, speaking of the law, bring death to me? Paul once again emphasizes by no means. It was, death, it was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin. And through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh, sold under sin, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree the law is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me that does it. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. What I do not want, it is no longer I who did it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another way, another law waging war, against the law in my mind, and making me captive of the law that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Christ our Lord, so that then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Wow. There's a tongue tire. We should pray. Let's do that. Lord, now with our brother Paul, we through Your Spirit ask that You would illuminate Your Word. Lord, for us, the the law is sometimes a far and a distant thing. We would ask, O God, that Your law would come close to us this morning. And through its revelation of who we are, that we would be driven deeper into Christ and who he is. Lord may we see the holiness and the perfection and the beauty of your law so that we might see the holiness and the perfection of the lawgiver. We trust in you Lord and we run to you for illumination. We pray this in your name O oh God. Amen. Yeah, that's one of the hard ones to read. You have to I've been practicing all week with it and apparently it didn't work real well. Um Paul seems to go in these really circular motions there that we want to sort of pull apart and and to uncloud the confusion there. But first, I I want to share a memory that I have with you um, that 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 applies to this law, and it's the memory of of our first child and and how cute and how wonderful he was uh, until he learned how to talk. And and there was one particular word that he learned pretty quickly before any other word that he learned, and and you parents, uh, that especially parents now, if, if your kid's not speaking yet, you'll see how quickly this comes, and the rest of you will relate to me with it. But it's a little two-letter word called "no." I've never sinned so much in my heart in my life over my kids telling me "no," and if as a parent you know the the tension that that wells up in you. And, and why would it well up in you? Because you, you've given your child a command and you've taught your child in the first two or three years of his life how to, how to mind you and how to live right and that you had its best interest in mind. After all, you were there when it threw up and you cleaned it and when all these other little functions happened, you're the one who took care of it and and you bought bought it little clothes and you did all sorts of things. And then all of a sudden this little bean who you've poured your entire life looks up at you and goes, no. Evidence of true depravity that we're born with, but also evidence of our innate inability as human beings that we continue with us throughout our entire life to be those who look at commandments and laws and say no. And that's what Paul is writing here about the law. It's not the law that is bad. It's not the law that is wrong. In fact, the law is wonderful. The law is beautiful. The law is great. Why? Because the law reveals the the lawgiver's moral character. Now, there's some suspicion that, in, in circles that are small, that Paul writes this as sort of a, a before and an after. That Paul thinks that he's that some theologians think that Paul's speaking of his pre-conversion versus his post-conversion. I don't hold to that at all, and I think it's wrong, because Paul does a couple of things, and I don't want to get too deep in the weeds this morning. But one is that Paul previously in the in the first 15 chapters or first 14 verses of this chapter speaks in a past perfect tense, but here he's speaking in the present, and he's speaking as though this struggle is going on with him right now. And of course, there's other places where Paul in in the New Testament talks about put on, take off and put on and 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 get a shoe away from and and move into, that this is the continual battle that Christians have throughout their whole lives, is this battle with sin, and that law highlights this sin in our lives, and then reveals to us the moral character, the moral standard of the lawgiver, our God, and then drives us to a place where we understand, I'm in a real war, I'm in a real battle. I can't do what God wants me to do and yet because I follow God and I'm born again, I want to do what God wants me to do but I find I never do it the way I should do it. And so this struggle and on Wednesday night going deeper you can join me and I'll go into several other reasons why this is a present tense struggle that Paul as a believer is having. But he's having a present tense Reality of a holy confrontation in these verses. Look at verse 14 with me again, if if you would. He says that... um, uh, As soon as I find verse 14 again. He says that, "...did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means it was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, that through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Here it is. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh and sold under sin. What is Paul saying there? There's I've got a serious conflict. I have the law continually in me, confronting me with God's holiness and my lack thereof. I think of, the, of Luke chapter 5 when Paul when Peter was in the boat and with the other disciples and Jesus told, told the disciples who hadn't caught fish all night long to cast your net on the other side. And of course we know the story, right, that they catch a, a boatload of fish, uh, pun intended. And, and that all of a sudden Peter comes to the realization who he's dealing with and he looks at Jesus and he says, Depart from me, Lord. Why? Because I'm a sinful man. And it's in that confrontation that we see the holiness of God and yet the sinfulness of who we are. That struggle on this side of glory never leaves us. We are continually confronted by thou shalt have no other gods before me with the struggle daily, hourly, sometimes by the minute of having no other gods before God. You think you're free of that, right? You think because you followed Christ that that you're free from that. You are truly free from the penalty of that in Christ, but you are not free from the obligatory nature of wanting to honor God above all others. The commandment still stands there that you should honor God with everything. How well are you doing? How well is it that you and I have no other gods before God? It's a trick question. Because the moment that one of us might say in our heart, you know, I'm doing pretty well with that. in a neon light that, you know, I'm doing really well with self-righteousness. that God is small enough and that His holiness is, is containable and that somehow in my flesh and in my finite way, I could truly honor God the way that He deserves to be honored. And Paul says, that confronts me all the time. Why? Because I'm born again I'm born again spiritually, and I know that the law is spiritual. The law has been, its requirements have been fulfilled in Christ Jesus, but, it's, but I have a heart for it now. I have a love for it. I want to fulfill it, but I don't know how to fulfill it. I can't fulfill it. He even says here in these verses, I don't have the ability to fulfill it. But the confrontation is there. And it's a holy confrontation. And the purpose of that confrontation is this: that we might see an inward struggle. it is right for us to struggle in the flesh if you're not struggling with the law and your own flesh, then you haven't entered into sanctification you haven't entered entered into That walk of being a disciple of Christ. You haven't entered into that love affair that a saved one has with its Savior. And then you have to question have I truly believed at all? You see, the struggle is not a bad sign. The struggle with your sin, the struggle with the law, is not a sign that you're failing. It's a sign that you're walking with Him. If you have no struggle at all, that's when you need to worry. If you're so in tune with the world and the ways of the world, if you're so in tune with sin and the way of sin, if you're so in tune with your flesh that your flesh overrides everything that's spiritual about you, there's some serious issues that are going on. On the other hand, If you find yourself looking at the law of God and seeing the beauty of the holiness of His law, then your heart grows more warm towards it because that's who you want to be. Then you understand who you are and you want to get to where you want to be. Because you now love it. But you understand the struggle. I wanted to be i got to put it in today's terms. I wanted to be someone like Tom Brady. Sorry, Giants fans. One of the Manning brothers is fine. It doesn't matter. I wanted to be a a star athlete. They, I thought they just had it made. Those of you who are my age will remember, I wanted to be Johnny Unitas. He was so cool. He wore those high top cleats. He had been shot when he was a kid by accident, and he had a crew cut. In 1964, crew cut was where it was at. But I didn't. I didn't make it. But I tried hard. I threw a football at a tree almost every afternoon when I was a kid. I saw a goal. I saw what I wanted to be. I saw who I wanted to be like. And I went through football. I went through high school football. I, went, I did everything I could to be like that. Why? Because I thought He was great. You see, that's what happens in the believer's heart though once they give their life to their Savior. They see someone glorious. They see someone beautiful. They see their God as the most holy, holy, holy One. And everything about them, Him consumes them. And they make it their goal. They make it their life's purpose to begin to be like Him because they see how glorious He is and how they want to manifest who He is in the earth. And His law... Doesn't become a burden any longer, but it becomes that goal for which they want to shoot. It becomes their obsession on what they want to obtain. And then the obtaining of that character of which God reveals in His law, that inward struggle of the inability to do it happens. So we are confronted by the law that leads us into a confrontation of this inward struggle look at verse 15 For I do not understand my own actions for I do what I want I do not do what I want but the very thing I hate Now if I do what I want verse 16 I agree that the law that the law that it is good Now it's no longer I who do it but sin that dwells in me Paul says there's, a, there's this struggle that just continues. That he encapsulates this whole struggle in verse 21. For I find it to be the law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war. I know of no Christian who's not in the struggle, who's truly seeking to follow God. Let me tell you why. Because they see who they're supposed to be in light of who they are. They see who they're supposed to be in light of who they are. And the more mature you grow in Christ, the more you see who he is. And also the more you see who you are. But you also see the flood of grace that is yours that has covered that gap. And that is the gospel. And that's what Paul says. That there's a reality of this confrontation that leads us to this inward struggle. And it really is the reality of the law of success. The law is successful when it drives us to Christ. Paul continues on to say, I find this law to be, um, I'm sorry, he says, I find this law that wages war against me in my mind and making me a captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ. See what Paul is saying? That once the character of God, the nature of God is revealed to us, And in Christ, it transforms. It's no longer our taskmaster, but it's our goal. It's the way that we should live. It's the way that we desire to live. It creates within us a struggle, a daily struggle as believers. But that daily struggle drives us to preach the Gospel to ourselves daily. Thanks be to God that Christ has covered that gap. Thanks be to God that He fulfilled the law. Thanks be to God that he honored God With his whole heart, his whole mind, all of his strength. Thanks be to God that he had no other gods before God. Thanks be to God that he kept the Sabbath and he kept it holy. Thanks be to God that he honored his father and his mother. Thanks be to God that he didn't commit murder. Thanks be to God that he did not steal. Thanks be to God that he didn't commit adultery. Thanks be to God that he didn't covet. Thanks be to God that he didn't bear false witness or false testimony against his neighbor. Thanks be to God for Christ Jesus who did it perfectly in body and in Mind on your behalf and that's the purpose of the law is to be a teacher and a tutor that drives us to Jesus and relieves us from the penalty of it but engages us to enter into the war into the struggle of taking off that which is old and putting on that which is new How is it going for you? Has the law so struck your heart that it's brought you into a confrontation with God's holiness? That you desire to enter into the struggle of taking off the flesh and putting on the Spirit and being born anew? How's it working out for you? It is the only cure to self-righteousness. Any other view of the law is the view of self-righteousness. Possibly there's no greater sin against the cross than the sin of self-righteousness. How do we begin to, to look at God's law And fall in love with it. Well, maybe if we look momentarily at the opposite side of the law, here's what I mean by that. If I'm to have no other gods before me, do I realize that God has not put any other human being before me? Doesn't matter your status in life. Are you a king, a queen? He hasn't put a king or a queen above you. He hasn't put your boss above you. He hasn't put your spouse above you. He's not put the right denomination above you. He's not put your children above you. But He has loved you wholeheartedly for who you are. God shows no favoritism to men according to their status. But He shows you favor according to your status with Him as a believer. God has loved you for exactly who you are in His Son Jesus. He has loved you no more or less than anyone else based on their status. If, if it is wrong for me to have other gods, to have idolatry, to have other gods before God... What's the opposite side of that? How does, how does God? God has no other human beings in the solar system in the universe except those He has created in His own image. You're unique individuals. Every single one of you. Believe it or not. But if you believe it, you'll get this. You are unique in all of the universe in that you have been made in the image of God. Where else will you find that in all of creation? In angels? No. In dinosaurs? No. In a porpoise? Absolutely not. Certainly not in spiders. One place, one place only, will you find a creature made in the image of God and it's you. Why would God do that? Except. To have you know him, be in relationship with him, to love him, but most importantly, to have him love you. And we can go all the way down the rest of the seven. God doesn't steal from you, God provides for you. God has never loved any other. Part of creation more than He's loved you. He hasn't committed adultery with any other part of creation. He has shown fidelity to you, His image bearers. You see, when we begin to see the opposite side of the law, it begins to convict our hearts of, if I have someone who has created me for the sole purpose, for the sole purpose of being the object of His affection... And He's created for me an unveiling of His moral character that I might know what it means for me to relate to Him in a love affair with Him. Then I am driven to know God's law and I want to enter the struggle of being in a fidelity relationship with God and God alone. And you see, that's the law's purpose, is to drive you and I who follow Christ into that desire deeper and deeper and deeper. Now, there's ulterior motives in it, because as we go deeper and deeper, God's glory becomes wider and wider to us. The expanse of the cross grows and grows and grows. And the more we see ourselves in the light of the law and what Christ has done for us, the larger that cross gets. And that's the purpose of the law. Paul says that's the whole reason that you struggle. Thanks be to God for Christ Jesus because that cross is so large that it covered the gulf between my inability to keep God's law and His ability to keep God's law and applying it to me through faith. So that when 8 1 comes along next week, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We foundationally know it's true. Because the law that brought sin in me has been crucified with Christ totally, that I live in His righteousness. And it's no longer condemnation, but commendation of well done, good and faithful servant. Do I want to honor God more? You bet. Can I ever honor Him enough? No way. And the truth of the matter is. That's a sword that pierces my heart. I know of no believer that doesn't want to honor God more. And that grows in them day after day after day. And they find themselves in the struggle day after day after day. They find themselves in the spiritual battle. And until you realize you're in a spiritual battle, you'll lose. Because it won't, you won't trust Christ with the battle. But if you realize, this whole battle is for my good. This whole battle means I'm His. This whole whole battle means I've won in Christ. Then we enter into the Christian battle gladly, gleefully. And with many of the hymn writers we can say, take the world, it has nothing to offer me. Give me Christ. How do we apply this? First of all, recognize the law's message to you. Somehow I guess we think when we've received Christ that the law has nothing more to say to us. Isn't it the reality that the law should have all the more to say to us? If I'm to love God with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my strength, shouldn't that mean more and more and more and more to me as I grow closer and closer and closer to Christ? Simple question. Those of you who love someone else, don't you want the best for who you love? And don't you want to show them the best? Not because they demand it from you, but because your heart wants to give it to them because you love them. When is the last time, Jack Miller's question, when is the last time you did something for God just because you loved Him? No ulterior motive. You said, "God, I want to. I want to do whatever you want me to do for no other reason other than I love you." You see, the law's message to you is that that's possible. Let the law come and speak to your heart. Let the law drive you to Jesus. Let the law make you a, a living sacrifice, as Paul will later say in the same letter. Because you're free from condemnation, you don't have to be perfect in the way that you offer yourself to God. You can come struggling. Allow it, number two, allow it, the law to drive you to Christ. Don't try to fix yourself. There's nothing more sad than seeing someone who's ill trying to trying to fix themselves instead of going to the physician and get the help that they need. That's my hypocrisy in life. I'd rather I'd rather fix myself than go to a doctor any day of the week. Some of you've been concerned about my hair. because I I'd rather I'd rather do something else than, than go to a barber shop and it proved to be just as awkward as I remembered it being last time but you see if I don't cut my hair it's going to keep growing if I just try to make myself well without the help of someone who knows how to make me well, I'm just going to keep getting sicker. If I don't run to the cross of Christ, I'm just going to go deeper in my flesh. Allow the law not to drive you to self-righteousness, self-healing, self-glorification, self-elevation, but allow it to lead you to the Savior. Savior. Where does that begin? But number three, live a life of thanksgiving. How do you do that? If you focus on Christ, if you focus on Jesus, you will become thankful. There's no There's no alternative. If you really see Jesus and you try to see Him more and more and more and more in your life, two things are going to happen. You're going to see how He has fulfilled the law for you, and you're going to become more thankful. And the more thankful that you become, the more you focus on Christ. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's a self-fulfilling action. The more thankful you are to Christ for what He's done, the more you see Christ. And the more you see of Christ, the more thankful you become. So crucify your old self. Let it drive you to Christ and then focus on Him. My boys are adults now. One by one, each of them have come to me in in their years. Here's the Hope parents. And said, Dad, thank you. Thank you for telling me what to do and what not to do. I know you loved us. The mature believer, the adult believer, understands the struggle. And says, thank you, Dad. Thank you, Father. Your law is good. And Christ is good to complete it. Thank you. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this new reality. We thank you that we need to be no longer manipulative in the ways that we live our life. But we can live in the abandonment of your grace with transformed eyes from that which used to accuse us to that which acclaims us. Love your law, O God. Help us to love it more and more and more. May we enter the battle and enter the struggle to live in the righteousness of Christ. Your name, O Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's stand as we close this morning and sing of the gift that we've been given in Christ alone.